Chapter 8, Earthbound's Breaking Cycles, and The New Age. In order for you to fully comprehend and understand the totality of the accumulated events that unfolded on a spiritual level, I'm going to go back in time about three years before I moved my mother in this last time and the years that followed after her disownment of me. In May 2015, my family received notification that we had to move out of the house we were renting at the time. The current owners at that point decided that they were going to sell their house to their son. And due to that choice, we had been given three months notice that we had to move yet again. I remember I kept hearing that there was going to be change coming and it was going to be challenging, but it was going to be okay. But again, if I was being truthful, Knowing it was going to be okay didn't minimalize the difficulty this process held, even if it was a blessing in disguise. Around this time, my boys were 10 and 12 years old, and stability again, like always, was a necessity, especially when it came to the location that we wanted their education to take place and the house we wanted to root them in. However, houses available to rent weren't easy to come by as I had explained before. So as the months went by, staying within the same town and same school district became seemingly hopeless. Nearing the end of those three months, we felt as though moving out of the school district was our only choice. But the day before I was supposed to put down a down payment on another house outside of the district, my oldest son Jeremy looked at me and said, Mom, we're not moving there. And I kind of laughed because at this point I felt that it would have to take a miracle in order for that not to be the case. But miracles happen every day, so I didn't necessarily dismiss what he said. Taking his statement seriously, I said, why? And his reply was, my spirit guide showed me the house that we're moving into. It's a big white house and it's in our town, so just keep looking. The next morning, the day I was supposed to put down the down payment on the other house, and this was two weeks before we had to move, I found a big white house that quite literally just popped up on the market that morning. Immediately, I drove down to the location with Jeremy and his response was, this is what she showed me. This is the house. Needless to say, we started the process into moving into this house. The big white house was built in 1828 and 187 years old at the time we moved in. Naturally, it had accumulated a lot of history and the following experiences occurred in stages throughout the five years leading up to 2020. Upon renting this house and starting the process of moving in, to say it wasn't in move-in condition is an understatement. It quite literally was abandoned for six months prior. It was a complete disaster, both physically and energetically. The water lines were broken from the previous family's inability to heat such a large home. There was mold in the kitchen due to food that had been left there for six months and feces in the toilet as well. Quite literally, the rest of the house looked like the family got up in the middle of the night and took only what they could put in their car. For the record, years later, I did reconnect with this family, the one that lived there prior to us, and they explained that they too dealt with a similar situation, but to a much higher degree, an abrupt forced removal from their home. Thankfully, because I didn't just throw their belongings away, I was able to return many of their previous belongings years later. But during this time, we had two weeks to move all of their belongings out to get things livable and then move all of our things in. During this very chaotic, fast-paced time, there were indeed spirit children that I picked up on, peeping around corners and following me around this house as I went through and cleaned. One little girl in particular had pulled the cord out of the wall while I was vacuuming. She turned the lights on and off, trying to get my attention. But like I said, with everything that had to be done, I didn't have time to sit and talk. But they didn't care. 
they just kept trying to get my attention anyways. About a week after we fully moved in, Jeremy comes downstairs and says, Mom, my dumbbell just rolled across the floor and then my door slammed shut. I said to him, did you take the time to see who it is? And of course his answer is no. So I said, listen, you know how to talk to them. Just go upstairs and see what they want and who they are and let me know what you get. Only for him to come back downstairs that evening complaining that he felt like he was experiencing an asthma attack and it was bothering him. Now again, because he didn't have an asthma attack or anything asthma related for well over 10 years at this point, I decided it was time to see exactly who was causing so much ruckus spiritually and now empathically once and for all. So Jeremy and I went outside to sit on the porch and that was the moment these two spirit children who had been following us around ever since we moved in decided to come through and talk. Elizabeth and Michael Andrew were the first two spirits that we met that night. Elizabeth was eight years old and Michael was around 10. Michael was the son of the original owner and Elizabeth the niece, and their story goes back to the mid-1800s. Elizabeth explained that she lived with her aunt, her uncle, and her cousin Michael because her mother passed away at childbirth and her father died at sea. So Michael and Elizabeth were more like brother and sister. There was a stream that ran alongside the property, and during the winter months, the stream had just frozen over, so they assumed it was safe to play on. Unfortunately, it wasn't. While they were playing on it, Michael fell through the not-so-solid ice. Aunt Elizabeth tried to save him, but she wasn't strong enough, so she ran to grab the uncle to get help. By the time the uncle pulled Michael out, though, it was too late. Michael had drowned. A few weeks after Michael's death, Elizabeth ended up getting scarlet fever, and so her uncle set out to travel by horse to the nearest town to get her medical help or medicine. But again, it was too late. Elizabeth had passed away days later. This didn't matter much in the long run. While traveling, her uncle wasn't able to survive the harsh winter, and he passed of hypothermia leaving Michael's mother, Elizabeth's aunt, now a widow and the only survivor and caretaker of this huge plantation house. These two particular children were the first of nine children to introduce themselves to us. That night, though, Michael Andrew apologized for empathically trying to get Jeremy's attention through the inability to breathe, and Elizabeth apologized for the lights going on and off and everything else. But they knew we could see them, and they knew we could talk, and they wanted to talk. But that night we kind of all agreed that we would listen if they wanted to communicate and they would understand if they needed to wait. There was one big difference with these spirit children and whole experience I'm about to tell you though. They were all earthbound spirits. Now for those of you who are not familiar with the term earthbound, it means that a soul is in between the earth plane and the other side. They're not fully crossed. For me, all the years that I had been able to communicate with spirit and my spiritual communication earthbound spirits were never a thing. And in the beginning with Elizabeth and Michael Andrew, it was actually more difficult for me to communicate with them compared to a fully crossed over soul. In terms of vibration or energy, it might be easier to think of it like the energy of an earthbound spirit is lower than the energy of a fully crossed spirit. And to top it off, within this communication with an earthbound spirit, they still have a sense of duality, especially when it comes to their emotions and their beliefs. So for example, they can be happy, they can be sad, they can be angry, they can be everything that we can be in a human experience because duality still exists in that in-between realm. When a soul is fully crossed over, all duality vanishes. They live in a state of balance and harmony, a state of oneness and love. It's just a higher vibrational energy when a soul is fully crossed and one with our creator. But I remember asking if they wanted to cross over shortly after this and their response was a very abrupt no. 
so I just respected their choices and set ground rules and efforts to live harmoniously together. And we did for three plus years after this very first communication that night. Throughout this time, Elizabeth, she was like the spokesperson of all these spirit children. She just continued to communicate with me, telling me more and more about her story and the stories of the other children. She explained that over the last 180 years, the house had been an orphanage three times over. And there ended up being a total of 11 spirit children that resided there, all earthbound, and all able to be validated by name and time period over the course of three years. Throughout those three years, I was also able to identify why it felt like home when I initially moved in, even though the circumstances really weren't ideal. It was brought to my attention that I too had once lived in that house 150 years ago, along with my best friend and her two girls that I have in this lifetime. We all lived there as orphans in the original orphanage Elizabeth's aunt created. It was Elizabeth's aunt that created the first orphanage, and she did this after losing her family to maintain the ability to even live there and care for the property. About four or five years after Elizabeth, Michael, and the uncle transitioned is when I, my best friend, and her two little girls arrived at this orphanage which is also why Elizabeth recognized me and was so adamant that we speak. Unfortunately, a few years thereafter, in that particular lifetime, the aunt became unable to pay her taxes. The way that I understand this part is there were three men that would ride on horses from the south of where the property sat. Everyone feared the leader of these three as he was cruel, misogynistic, and inhumane. They said he ruled with an iron fist. When the aunt couldn't pay for her taxes with money, she, and some of the other orphans paid in a different way. This didn't last long. I mean, sure, long enough for it to create some type of trauma granted, but they all, including myself and my best friend and the two little girls, eventually abandoned the property and escaped through the Underground Railroad rather than continue the abuse just to maintain the house. Many of people throughout the years of my time at this house came there who also lived there in past lives. A lot of them returned for what they assumed was a mentoring program or a meditation or a reading, but they quickly realized that they too were there to clear out past traumas from all the past lives associated with this house. For the longest time, it was Elizabeth that would show up and help me help those that visited. Elizabeth loved that house so deeply. That was one of the reasons for her emotional attachment that kept her in between and not fully crossed over. Aside from Elizabeth and Michael, all of the children that lived and died there passed without justice ever taking place. And that is what kept them in between or earthbound. There were children that committed suicide by hanging there were murdered children that were then disembodied and buried on the property or died from a house fire and so on. And once I became fully aware of all of their stories, all communication with them stopped abruptly. And for three months after that, I couldn't connect with them anymore. But one night Elizabeth came back and this time I could see her differently. I could see her clear as day. At that point in time is when she relayed to me that her and all the 11 children had finally crossed over and were at peace. She then explained it wasn't about me ever proving anything or having a proper burial for them because that's what I was literally planning on doing right around that time. She went on to say that it was about understanding their lives, their traumas, 
our past lives and that in itself was what allowed them to break their cycle and cross over. Throughout our time at this house, there had also been one male spirit who lived there with us. He was also earthbound. Now, remember I mentioned before, earthbounds can still carry all the dual emotions and beliefs that we do in our human experience. And sometimes you come across really cool earthbounds like Elizabeth, and sometimes we come across the earthbounds that are what we would call dicks. In the beginning when we moved in, this guy aggressively would slam Jonathan's door specifically. He would stand in the corner of Jonathan's bedroom and made you feel outright uncomfortable and uneasy. He thrived on making people feel this way, and at the time, with Jonathan being the youngest and the most impressionable, that is who he tried to target first. Clearly, he wasn't as pleasant as all these other children were. And once I realized what he was doing and how he didn't care to live harmonious, I made it abundantly clear this was a happy, harmonious house. And if he didn't respect the boundaries to keep it that way, then he and I were going to have big problems. After a while, though, he retired to the basement where he mainly stayed in a 4x4 work area. At one point, I did go downstairs in the basement in efforts to try to talk to him. And all he said to me was, get out. And so I did. I left him alone in his own unhappiness after that, because the reality is you can't help anybody, including spirit, that doesn't want to be helped. From time to time throughout those three years, Elizabeth and I were communicating. He would come to me in my dreams, though. And for the most part, when he visited me, he wasn't even pleasant there. He would generally try to scare me the best way he knew how. And he would say things like, don't communicate with spirit here and you can't do those things. It's not welcomed. As if to say he had a say to what was going on in the house. But there was this one particular dream where he showed me a little boy. All I remember from the dream is seeing this little boy sitting in a bedroom in a corner on a rocking chair. He looked very disturbed and not at all mentally well. And like always, it wasn't some extravagant dream. But when I woke up, I heard, open the closet door. And immediately I knew exactly what closet door he was referring to. This particular closet had been stuffed full with bits of pieces of electronics, stripped from what looked like all of the copper wiring from the previous owners. For the record too, I had gone through this closet when we moved in, but because electronics can't just be thrown away, they have to be disposed properly we kind of just left everything in there and just didn't use the closet. So after he said go open the closet door, I go downstairs, open the closet, and to my absolute astonishment, when I opened the door, there was two pictures in perfect alignment placed on the shelf at eye level. The pictures were from the early 1900s of three little boys, one of which was the same little boy I had dreamt of that night. As always, I did try to do everything I possibly knew how to do to prove that maybe this had been there the whole time. but. Clearly that wasn't possible because it just simply wasn't there before. But what did this mean? At the time, I had no idea, but I was on a mission to find the fuck out. Every time thereafter, when this man would come through to me in my dreams, it was like a cry for help, but he wasn't saying like, help me please. It was more like when a child throws a tantrum because they're unable to express what they actually need. They know they need something, but they don't know how to ask. After a few of those dreams, he finally decided to tell me his story yet again through another dream. And his story goes like this. His name was Thomas Ray. He was also an orphan that grew up in this house the second time it was an orphanage in the early 1900s, exactly the same year and age this picture that I found looked to be from. He said that his mother was an abuser and left him and his two brothers there when they were babies. However, as they grew up, Thomas stayed at the house and became the help, or a handyman if you will. 
and during that lifetime, one might look at his choices and label him as a bad person. When we do that, we actually label people as being bad themselves, and that simply was not the case. Yes, some of his choices that he made throughout this life were bad and had a direct effect on some of the children that grew up in the house as well. But Thomas was an abused child that became an abuser himself. Unfortunately, that's all he knew. Thomas ended up abusing a little girl named Claire, also as an orphan. But by that time, Thomas was a full-grown man. The abuse occurred for so long and was so inhumane that Claire, at 12 years old, hung herself on a cherry tree on the edge of the property. It wasn't until the abuse caused a life to be taken that Thomas saw how wrong his choices were and he could not live with himself. He was destroyed by the realization that he had turned into his mother and Thomas hung himself shortly thereafter. However, his grief combined with belief that he himself should rot in hell for all eternity is what kept him from fully crossing over and he had remained in his own self-created purgatory ever since. Throughout the years prior, Thomas had witnessed countless of families that had lived there, but he also witnessed countless conversations I had with people both the dead and the living that continued to contradict everything he believed. He wanted to be released from his own hell, but he didn't yet believe he deserved to be. He was terrified that if he went through that light, so to speak, that he would suffer even more than just remaining earthbound. After I realized this a few weeks later, I decided that I was going to go down in the basement and have a chit chat with him. And I knew that he was going to be reluctant, so I called in some recruits. I asked my best friend and her two girls, again the one that lived there with us in the previous life, to help me. As we tried to enter this 4x4 room in the basement, he literally stood in the doorway as if to say, you're not welcome down here bitch, and that made me stop dead in my tracks. But I wasn't accepting no for an answer. I decided since he was so angry, the best way to approach this was to neutralize the energy. And I lit my sage. My best friend began to sprinkle salt on the floor, and the girls held selenite wands and played singing bowls. Again, all with the intention to just neutralize the energy and raise it to higher levels. This was a task that required patience along with understanding, because it took us close to two hours to even get into this 4x4 room and neutralize the energy so that I could actually talk to him without him just dismissing what I had to say. Finally, I was able to explain to him at that point, he didn't have to be unhappy that what happened in his lifetime, although he didn't make the best choices, but he didn't have to continue living in that cycle of misery. And the choices we make in the lifetimes most certainly don't define us as a soul. I went on to explain that there wasn't anyone on the other side that was going to punish him, that this was him punishing himself, his own self-created hell, and that when he was ready, because nobody could make the choice for him, he could fully cross and he could be at peace. I assured him that our creator was an all-loving, all-knowing creator, and that we all make mistakes and bad choices choices. Again, yes, all to different degrees, but he was indeed a child of God, and God would never turn away from one of his children. Not to humanize God, but I definitely worded it in that way, because that was the way that he understood, and it took a few days for him to respond, but he, like Elizabeth, came back and said, I'm not ready to transcend and I understood. So at that point, I reiterated that there were rules of the house, but unlike before, he had finally agreed to abide by them. Now at this point, we were in the summer of 2020, and for the six months that followed after he and I came to an understanding, he grew to be a defender and protector of myself, 
people that visited, and the property. It was like he was trying to right all of his wrongs. If people came to the house and he felt like they had bad intentions, or perhaps maybe they weren't supposed to be there, or maybe they weren't ready to help themselves, he would make them feel extremely uncomfortable or dizzy. He would actually make it so that people pulled into the driveway, didn't get out of their cars, and just left. This happened on a couple occasions, but not very many. Because on the other hand, he would absolutely try to help me help those people that came there that were ready to help themselves, and especially people that had fallen victim to traumatic experiences like he had. So in return, I genuinely did and still do defend him because, well, I do that with all spirits, but no one was allowed to speak badly of him nor his choices because the reality is, it isn't anybody's place to judge. But around the beginning of November in 2020, Thomas started to say things like, your speculation, transcendence, and solstice. For those of you that don't know, solstice is on the 21st of December. He went on to talk about the coming of the new age and souls or spirits that have been stuck in between or earthbounds for 200 plus years. Unfortunately, I had no idea what he was talking about, not entirely anyways. At the time, I did have other beings like Sekhmet and Metatron that I was in communication with, and I'll go into further detail about them later, but they too were talking about this new age stuff. I just didn't have all the information to fully comprehend what they were trying to say. On November 30th of 2020, which just so happened to be a lunar eclipse and a full moon, I was finally able to understand what they were trying to convey for weeks prior. This alignment of the lunar eclipse and full moon was setting into motion all things both within our physical experience and within the spiritual or energetic realm to usher in this new age that they kept talking about. This new age is about bringing in higher levels of energy or awareness, neutralizing old energies or lower vibrational energies, very similar to when Thomas and I spoke officially in the basement that day. In other words, in order to bring out a higher frequency of energy on a planetary scale in both physical and energetic realms, the souls that were living in between, whether it be because of a self-created purgatory or an emotional attachment, they needed to transcend and become whole again and be one with Source. They too, like us in our physical experience, had cycles to break free of. And you might be wondering, how did you get to this fucking conclusion? And as always, I'm going to tell you, it's through experience. Because on November 30th, 2020, that night was when my husband and I were installing and setting up surveillance cameras. We were doing this all on the inside of the house. Around 8 o'clock that night, I went up to my shop. I was shutting everything down, and I remember saying out loud to Thomas, I said, I don't know what's going to happen on the 21st of December. But when and if you do transition, please come back to me and say hi right away, because it took Elizabeth and them three months to come back and let me know that they finally crossed. Don't make me wait so long. After I said that, I went upstairs for the night, but I couldn't sleep. So about 15 minutes later, I got out of bed and went into the room that our newly installed security monitor was in. When I walked into the room, I heard this strange ass sound coming from the security monitor.
Now this was like nothing I had ever heard before. So immediately I go downstairs to see if that's where the noise was coming from. But the noise wasn't coming from downstairs. I went back upstairs. I tried to see if there was interference, but that was not the case. So I started to listen a little closer. All of a sudden, just as I was about to freak out because I didn't know what the fuck was going on, Thomas literally appears before me, just like Elizabeth did, clear as day. He was no longer coming through like a shadow or a silhouette like most earthbounds do for me. He had fully crossed. And if you're wondering what he looks like, he actually looks almost identical to the man that played the father from Little House on the Prairie. But immediately I asked him, what is going on downstairs? And all he did was motion me to follow him downstairs. So as we approached the living room, I all of a sudden saw this huge pillar of green light. And the best way I can explain it is it was like a green pillar of light that was acting like a vacuum, drawing up all the in-between souls and the residual energy in the ether realm. That was all the noise I was picking up on. But it all seemed like this was something that was occurring whether they liked it or not. Imagine 200 plus years of leftover energy and souls that for one reason or another still were in between and not fully crossed. All of them being embraced into the other side at the same time simultaneously. Everything and everyone was starting the process of transcendence just like Thomas was suggesting And that was when I understood and everything came into the full awareness. Imagine three layers of reality. The first being our earthly experience. The second, moving upward, the in-between realm or the energetic realm, spiritual realm. And the third, heaven, the other side, whatever you want to call it. If the first and second layer is convoluted with lower vibrational energy because of duality, the merging of all three realms of reality could never occur. Another way to think of this is if while all of us souls set out to go on a life experience, a human experience, meanwhile, as we're going about our journey, we have our mother and father God just watching over, right? Watching over this whole journey. They're all watching from the other side. Just like parents, we only allow our children to detour for so long. Eventually, at one point or another, we as parents will correct our children and put them right back in the right direction or the right path. Same thing. This energetic realm was being cleansed. And it was being cleansed at the same time where a lot of people within humanity were also starting to realize and recognize generational and karmic cycles. However, this, like everything, takes time. Essentially, this is the process that started to occur in the beginning of 2020. This was the only pathway to raise the energy on a planetary scale to higher levels of awareness, and this was pre-written. There was nothing or no one that could stand in the way of this occurring. I will always tell people, some things are set in stone, and some things are a little bit more flexible, but for whatever reason, I agreed to go through this process not only within my own life's journey with my mother, but also within the spiritual and the energetic realm that I had always been in communication with. This, like everything, was necessary to understand as the journey that laid before me began to unfold.